Well, I believe worship sets the tone for us to receive the Word of God. Prepares our hearts. And if your heart isn't prepared this morning, I don't know what to do. We might have to get the defibrillators out. Your heart should be prepared for the Word. My job should be easy this morning. I love that song Pastor did. You know, at the end it says, none other has ever known. It just reminds me how personal our relationship is with the Lord. You've known, and you've known your way, and you've known your way. But none none other has ever known my personal, intimate relationship with the Lord. And as as we worship this morning, and, and that song that Matt sang about the different seasons of our soul and God's faithful through those, if you haven't experienced that, if you don't have that deep, intimate relationship with the Lord that allows you to experience His faithfulness and intimacy with Him, maybe, that's, maybe this all sounds a little bit foreign to you. I hope that you will receive that today. That is the purpose of our church, is for you to deepen and come to know the Lord and to grow in His grace and His knowledge. Amen. Uh, how many, I want to know how many Black Shopper Fridays we had. I mean, got out and gra- uh, braved the crowds today. Show of hands. Oh, I don't, I don't know, a few, yeah. Well, fortunately, uh, Hayden, my oldest son, he likes to shop. And so he took my place with Tammy because she wanted to go out and, and brave those crowds. And I really didn't, but I didn't want her to go by herself. So when Hayden said he wanted to go, I, I found a way out. I didn't have to go uh, fight those crowds. And uh, we're coming up, we're coming th- through the end of the Thanksgiving season. We have so much to be thankful for. And we're also coming in now into the Christmas season. And all these holidays are supposed to be a season of joy. But for many people, it really is a season of sadness. It really is. And and, and I've seen some people sharing things on Facebook about suicide hotlines and things. Because there's a lot of hurting people in our society. There's a lot of them out there. And we, we come in contact with them all the time. But I wonder if we really see them the way we should. Recently here at the church, I stopped by the church quite often now, now that I'm retired, and I was having some conversation with Brother Michael. And we were talking about evangelism and our heart for evangelism, our heart for our church for evangelism and what it looks like. And there's a thousand different uh, 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 definitions out there of how people define evangelism and what it looks like. And, And there are many ways to do it. There are many, many ways to do it. And as I talked to him about how I personally wanted to try to impact the people around me to get up with a mindset now, now that my field has changed a little bit in retirement, I have to shift my focus a little bit on how I'm going to try to impact people's lives. And I said, but I need to get up each day, and I need to think about how I'm going to do that. And Michael used this word to me. He said, you know, we need to be, you're talking about maybe being intentional. And I said, you know what, Michael, that is exactly the word I mean. I mean intentional. I mean get up every day with the intent to go out and impact someone's life. And so my, this message for you today is more a message for me, but it's also a challenge for Bethel Christian Center, especially as we go into the Christmas season, and particularly as we go into 2017, that we become a church that's intentional about those who are around us, about those whose path that we cross. I want to care about the hurting, and I want to have some concern for the lost. And I need to work on that because that just is not my strong suit. Because I am a very task-oriented person. You ask anyone who knows me, they'll tell you that. I, I live life 100 miles an hour. I get up each day. I'm very structured. I got to do this, and I got to do this, and I got to do this, and I got to do this. And I pass through the people that I have to do to get those things done. And I don't really pause for a minute to think about maybe where they are in life. A good example of that, we're, we're friends with 
Kim and Jeff Schuler, Brother Wallace and Sister Jewel's son. And a few years ago, we stopped by to visit with them. And we'd been there, I guess, about 45 minutes. And I looked at my watch and I said, I looked at Tammy, I said, baby, you about ready to go? And they busted out laughing. Jeff and Kim busted out laughing. I said, what are you laughing at? She, Jeff said, well, I told Kim that you'd be here. And in about 45 minutes, you'd look at your watch and say, well, you're ready to go. And you know what? He was right. He's been around me long enough to know that when I stop by to visit somebody, you've got about 30 minutes of my time, and once you got to give you that 30 minutes, I'm out because i got somewhere else to go. And honestly, that's an honest assessment of how I live my life. But I get things done, but nevertheless, I, I realize there's some things in me that I need to change. Here, let me give you a couple statistics. Recently, a pastor was, was uh, I don't know if he was doing his own study or survey, but he, was, he did a poll. And he had 62 visitors visit his church in the last six months. And he said that 90% of those visitors were in the middle of or had just come through a major crisis in their life. 90%. And you can bet today that most people will come into a church today. They will come into that church because life has dealt them a crisis. And they're looking for answers. They want to know. They're looking for some help in a crisis of life. Another statistic, 75% of the people that I encounter and that you encounter are hurting personally. If I polled those here today, and some of you I know personally, I know that you would fit into that category, that life has dealt you a crisis. So I want to become more conscious of that. I want to become intentional about looking for that in people that God places in my path. And I want our church to become more intentional in that. My, my scripture this morning comes from Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. Before Tammy puts that scripture up, uh, I want to set the setting for Matthew 9 and for what Christ had done. This whole chapter is about the works of Christ. And prior to verses 35 through 38, Jesus had healed a paralyzed man. He socialized and then been criticized for eating with sinners. He healed a bleeding woman. He'd raised a girl from the dead, and he'd healed the blind and the mute. So he'd done all those things, and then we, that moves us into verses 35 through 38, and it reads like this. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Father, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for this challenge that you've placed into my heart, and I pray that somehow I will convey it to this church. God, that we will become a church, Lord, that's concerned about those who are lost, helpless, and harassed. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to look at this scripture a little bit. And I want to look at what Jesus was doing here. It says that he went through all the towns and the villages. Well, he literally went through different towns and villages, but what about our towns and villages? What about our workplaces? What about our family gatherings? We're coming up on Christmas. We're going to have a lot of family gatherings. What about the people that we pass just in our daily lives, the people we stop and encounter with, that maybe that checks us out at the grocery store or waits on us in a restaurant? Those are our towns and villages. Those are the people that Christ and God has put into our lives. What about them? Do we see them? The Bible says in this particular chapter that Jesus saw the crowds. So I had to ask myself, do I see people? Do I see them? I know I see their bodies. 
But do I see their spirit? Do I look at them with my spiritual eyes? Do I pause for a minute, slow my roll, as Tammy would say, and just take just a second to look at people and where they are and where they may be and what, what, who God has placed in my life to have an impact in their life? He saw them with his spiritual eyes. Let, let, let me give you an example. Some of you may see the uh, shelter back that we've had put over the bus. We bought a new church bus, and, and we paid a lot of money for it, and it's a nice bus, and we wanted to keep it protected. So we, were, we purchased a shelter to, to park it under. Well, we had to get a permit for that thing through the city, and that was quite a task. I had to deal with the planning department, the inspections department, the water quality department, and it took about two months to get a permit to put that shelter up. But we got it up. And when we finally got the permit, I called the uh, folks and I said, look, we got our permit. We're ready to put it up. Is this working? Let me stay over here in this mic. Uh, so we, we, I like to walk when I talk, so I'll have to st- try to stay still. We, we were going to put it up. So I said, so the pe- folks called me and they said, here's what we'll be there between 7.30 and 8.30 on a Tuesday. And I said, well, keep it as close to 8.30 as you can because it's a residential area and that's fine. I said, and call me before you come. Okay. Well, I've been on this rodeo before. Many of you have as well. When you, typically, you don't get that phone call. So, but I, so knowing that, I got up early and I got ready. And about 10 after 7 in the morning, my phone rings, and the guy says, we're here. And I said, okay. Well, I'm about 20 minutes from the church. First, you weren't supposed to be there at 730. It's 10 after 7, but I kind of suspected you might be coming early, so I'll be there in 20 minutes. So I got up, and I hurried around, and I rushed to the church. And there was four men here working, three of Hispanic descent, one, I think, of American descent, although he spoke, spoke Spanish. And they were out there working, and I had to get the bus out of their way, and I had to get the invoice, and I had to compare that invoice to our invoice, and I had to do this, and I had to do this, and I had to do this, and I had to do this. And that's what I was doing. And after about, it took them about three, about three, three and a half hours to put it up. And after, it wasn't until about two hours that I would go out and check on the progress. I was standing there with a cup of coffee that I stopped for a minute. I came out of my typical way of looking at things, and I said, I wonder what's going on in these guys' lives. I wonder if life is throwing them a curveball. I wonder if they have a relationship with the Lord. I wonder if anybody even cares. And those are the things that were going through my mind. I'm standing there holding my cup of coffee. And one of the guys looks at me. He says, uh, when do I get my coffee? I said, well, you know what? As a matter of fact, I've got a pot made in there. And we had some, some breakfast danishes and things left over here. And I said, and when you finish, because I wanted him to finish the job. I said, when you finish, I want you to come in and have some coffee and get something to eat before you leave. And so at that point, I was having, starting to see them with my spiritual eyes. And I was starting to, de- to decide tactically and strategically how I was going to talk to these men and spend some time with them and minister to them for a moment before they left. And that, but that took a conscious decision on my part. That took a, a decision to be intentional about that. And so they finished and they came in and I asked them a little bit. They, out of, they lived in Mount Airy and they were heading to Raleigh for their next, uh, for their next job. And I said, where are you, you guys heading out? Got a busy day? Yep. Where are you going? I'm going to Raleigh. I said, busy. You got to stay busy, yeah. And I just asked them, I said, well, let me ask you something. If something happened and life ended today, where would you spend eternity? Have you ever accepted Christ as your Savior? I mean, you know, we're a Christian church. And I just want to ask you a little bit where you stand with the Lord. And one, I'm kind of smiling. A couple of them went to a Catholic church. And that was okay, but we had some conversation. And they finished their coffee, and they finished their Danish, and they left. And I'll, I'll, I must admit, there's a part of me when they left, I said, did that do any good? Did, did, did that matter, or was that more for you, Lord, or was that more for me? But I'm, I'm, I'm here to tell you, church, that the results are not up to us. 
The results are up to God. But we've gotten clear example throughout the scriptures that we are to be priests and ministers where we are. To the people he placed in our path. And I think it does matter. The Bible tells us it's for one to plant, one to, God, one to water, and God gives the increase. So I believe somewhere, somewhere along the way, those words that I spoke to them will matter. But it's just my, and, and I want it to be our desire to be intentional to do that with the people that God's places in our path. I think too often we think, well, that's the pastor's responsibility. We often hear about how he, and he, I've been places with him, he talks to everybody. So if you're in a hurry, don't go anywhere with Pastor Don. He talks to everybody. And, and so, but it's not his responsibility. We're, we're called to be a force multiplier. We're called to all be doing that. It's not, and it's not just the leader's responsibility. It's all of our responsibilities. And it should be our heart's desire. That's what it should be. It should be our heart's desire. 1 Corinthians 2.16 says we're to have the mind of Christ. And the mind of Christ is a mind of compassion and concern for his creation. And he set us as priests and ministers where we are to share that. As I was preparing this, I thought about the story of the Good Samaritan. It's found in Luke 10, 25 through 37. And it says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. He asked, What must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. Jesus asked this man, what's written in the law and how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and all your will and your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. So this expert in the law, he was quoting two things. He was quoting Deuteronomy 6.5 and he was quoting Leviticus 19.18. He knew the law. And Jesus said, you've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he answered, but he wanted to justify himself. The Bible says that the religious leader wanted to justify himself. And unfortunately, that we have too many people today that still, they want to justify themselves. And, and as I was reading this, and as I read and studied commentary on this, this is what I think happened. I think that this expert in the law had, looked at, had uh, asked Jesus what it took to inherit eternal life, and he told him to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And then he said, love your neighbor as yourself. And I think he said, you know, I've got that love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul. I've got that down pat. But this love your neighbor yourself, I better ask him another question about that. Because he asked him this. He said he wanted to justify himself. So he asked, he said, who's my neighbor? Because I'm wondering in the back of his mind as he wondering, there's probably some people I really don't. Who's my neighbor? Who do I have to love and who I don't have to love? I think that's what he was asking. Who do I, who, who do I have to love and who I don't have to love? And that prompted Jesus to give the story of the Good Samaritan. He said a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and he went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave him to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any expenses you may have. Which one of these do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of robbers? That's the question Jesus asked the teacher of the law. 
The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Look at the characters of this story for a minute. First was the robbers. They're just there looking to take advantage of someone. There's plenty of people in our society looking to take advantage of someone. They may not be looking to beat them and strip them physically, but there's plenty of people out there looking to take advantage of others. There was the religious men. That was the Levite and the priest. And I found this interesting. How did they handle this man who was in need? I mean, these were the religious guys. They completely avoided him. They walked to the other side of the road. I, you know, I don't, I don't want to deal with this. this I don't, you know, I'm wondering, I'm wondering if they're thinking, I didn't have time for this. I'm heading to prayer meeting. I got to get to church on time. I've got this to do. They're like me. I got that to do. And I don't have time for this. And they passed him right on by. Maybe they didn't want to deal with a hard situation. I think too many times when we find out that someone is dealing with a crisis of life, especially if it's something unexpected, it's the loss of a loved one, it's a really bad report, it's somebody who's struggling with something we're not comfortable with, we would just soon let somebody else deal with that. Let somebody else, because we think we got to go in and we got to come up with some big theological argument, we got to quote a scripture that's going to make everything better, and that's not what we have to do. Sometimes if we have that type of relationship with them, we just have to go love them. We have to go sit with them and talk to them and share with them and let them talk to you. Sometimes the best thing to do is not talk at all and let them talk. I want to share a story with you that I I, uh, found. It illustrates this. It's by a man named Doug Nichols. And he says, while serving with Operation Mobilization in India in 1967, tuberculosis forced me into a sanitarium for several months. I sensed they weren't happy about a rich American. To them, all Americans were rich, being in a free government-run sanitarium. I did not speak the language, but I tried to give Christian literature written in their language to the patients, to the doctors, and to the nurses, and everyone refused. The first few nights, I woke up around 2 a.m. coughing. One morning during my coughing spell, I noticed one of the older and sicker patients across the aisle trying to get out of the bed. He would sit up on the edge of the bed and try to stand, but weakness would fall back into the bed. I didn't understand what he was trying to do. He finally fell back into the bed exhausted. I heard him crying softly. The next morning, I realized he had been trying to get up and walk to the bathroom. The stench in our ward was awful. Other patients yelled insults at this man. Angry nurses moved him roughly from side to side as they cleaned up the mess. One nurse even slapped him. The old man curled into a ball and he wept. The next night, I again woke up coughing. I noticed the man across the aisle again try to stand. Like the night before, he fell back whimpering. I don't like bad smells and I didn't want to become involved, but I got out of bed and went over to him. When I touched his shoulder, his eyes opened wide with fear. I smiled, put my arms under him, and picked him up. He was very light due to his old age of an advanced TB. I carried him to the washroom, which was filthy, a small room with a hole in the floor. I stood behind him with my arms under his armpits, and and he took care of himself. After he finished, I picked him up, carried him back to his bed. As I laid him down, he kissed me on the cheek, smiled, and said something I couldn't understand. The next morning, another patient woke woke me up and handed me a steaming cup of tea. He motioned with his hands that he wanted a tract. As the sun rose, other patients approached and indicated they also wanted booklets. I had tried to distribute before throughout the day. Throughout the day, nurses, interns, and doctors asked for the literature. 
Weeks later, an evangelist who spoke the language visited me and discovered that several had put their trust in Christ as Savior as a result of reading the literature. What did it take to reach these people with the gospel? It wasn't health. It wasn't the ability to speak their language or persuasive talk. It was simply a trip to the bathroom. You know, and I read that, and we think we have to come up with something earth-shattering. But sometimes it might just take a trip to the bathroom. Once we say who we are, that we're believers of Christ and followers in Christ, one of the first things people are going to look at is how we treat other people. How do we treat other people? How do we care about other people? We say this here, and it's a little bit of a cliche, but it's true. People don't care how much we know, do they know how much we care? And this is something I've really had to work on to slow down and see people the way I think God wants me to see those people. The innkeeper in the story of the Good Samaritan just saw him as a customer, strictly from a business standpoint. But the Samaritan, the Samaritan saw him as a victim, as a human being worth being cared for and loved. And you know what was interesting in this story to me? Isn't it just like Jesus Christ, our Lord, to use a Samaritan, to use a Samaritan to help this Jew? Now, we think that we, we, we talk a lot about how there's so much strife and tension in our society today, so much division, and it is. But let me tell you, politically and racially, there's not any more strife today than it was of what Jesus dealt with. Because this man was on his way to Jericho from Jerusalem, the robber was. He was likely a Jew. And if you study the history, the Samaritans did not like the Jews, and the Jews did not like the Samaritans. The Jews saw the Samaritans as half-breeds. So I was wondering when Jesus said, but the Samaritan, I wonder if, I wonder if he just lost the expert in the law then. Maybe he's like, wait a minute, if you're going to be talking about a Samaritan, you might as well talk about something else. Because I don't have anything to do with a Samaritan. But he did. He said, but the Samaritan, who had mercy on this man? He said, the one who had, he said, the one who had mercy on him. He didn't even say the Samaritan. He didn't say the Samaritan. Was it because he wouldn't even say it? Was it because that hatred was so built up in him against this class of people he wouldn't even say it? But at that moment right there, Jesus said, go and do likewise. I think he was saying to a religious leader, Jew, that maybe had hatred against Samaritans, said, now you go and do the same to them. And I think he may have turned his world and his theological world upside down. And he's been turning our religious worlds and our theological worlds upside down ever since then. It doesn't matter who the person is in need. It doesn't matter if they look like me. It doesn't matter if they talk like me, if they believe like me. If I see a need and God has placed that need in my path, I want to try to fill it. And I want to be intentional about looking for it. And I want us to be intentional about looking for it as a church. Jesus had compassion. It says he had compassion on them. And that's, once again, that's not necessarily my strong suit. But the God that we serve is a God of compassion and comfort. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. Many of you have know what that supernatural comfort is like. Many of you have received it in your times of trouble. Don't keep it to ourselves. Let's don't keep those things to ourselves. Let's reach outside into our villages and to the places that we travel and the people that we have impact on. And let's comfort them with the supernatural comfort that we've received. And, you know, as I was thinking about this and I was meditating over this message, I thought, you know, but there's a lot of people 
that right now, they may not be in a position. They may say, Brother Larry, I'm the one in need of comfort right now. My life is tough right now. You know what? That's okay. That song we talked about talked about the seasons of our soul. And we'll go through seasons that we're the ones in need. We're the ones in need of comfort. And that's okay. But maybe you're at a season in life where God's really blessed you or he's brought you through a crisis. And now you're in a position to reach out and touch and bless someone else's life. And say, let me tell you how I got through that. Let me tell you how the Lord helped me through that. And don't shut yourself in. But start to reach out and bless those and touch those that are around you. And if you're, in, if you're here and you're, you'll say, look, I just can't do that. I'm just one of those people. I'm just a 100% uh, introvert. And I, I'm a little introverted. Tammy's the social butterfly of our relationship. I don't mind telling you that. She knows and talks to everybody. I'm a little bit introverted. But we have to recognize that and get outside of that. But if you say, I just can't do that, then let this church know on Wednesday night, if you have a coworker that's going to the hospital, dealing with a crisis of life, a family friend or someone, let us know. We have people, Brother Jesse and others, have people that go out, and we'll go, and we'll go see them for you. Now, we, we are not going to homes typically until we call folks. You don't just show up at people's houses today. That's not a good idea. But somebody out of this church would may call on Wednesday night and say, we, you know, Brother so-and-so said that you're dealing with a crisis, something in life, and we'd like to come pray with you and talk to you. They may say no, and that's okay. Or maybe go see them in the hospital. But give us that opportunity to reach out and touch someone's life. Jesus said the people were harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. Upon my retirement, there were several things I wanted to do. I was talking to Brother Matt recently here at the church, and I told him that I had to realize that I can't do everything that I want to do in my retirement in six months. Like I said, I, I live life 100 miles an hour, and there's a lot of things I want to do, but I can't do them all in six months. I've got, I've got some time, so I need to slow down a little bit. But one of the things I wanted to do and I worked on was right before I retired, the Billy Graham Evangelical Association came and, and gave some training on something uh, they have. It's called a rapid response team. And it, it was birthed out of 9-11 because Franklin Graham had a chance to go down to 9-11 uh, where it happened. And he sees all these people wandering aimlessly around and no one there to help them emotionally or spiritually. So he started this. And he has chaplains nationwide, and when there's large disasters, they deploy. They get emails and they deploy. Well, within that is something called the Strategic Chaplain Ministry, and it's for first responders. And it's because of the many incidents of civil unrest that we have now that center around officer-involved shootings. And I happened to be in Charlotte for that training when the civil unrest started in Charlotte because of that shooting there. And was supposed to be in Charlotte for two days and ended up spending six days there. And it's based on the premise, folks, that we are the light of the world. We are the light of the world. Matthew 5, and th- Matthew 5, 14 through 15 reads, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. We are the light of the world. And his, it was built on that premise that in these situations of civil unrest and all these things going on, there's a lot of darkness down there. And so we want to bring some people in with some light. And so I've had an opportunity to do that. And many of you know Ralph Thompson, who runs our emergency chaplain program here. And he runs the chaplaincy program for the police department and many of the first responders here locally. And on that note, out in the foyer, and all of you will get an email Uh, There is a box out there, and there's a sheet above that box. What We are partnering with the police department to try to help the homeless here during the Christmas season. 
And his goal is to have a, a bag in every police car. And, and within it will be some socks, some toothpaste, toothbrush, some personal hygiene items. Because officers encounter homeless all the time. And they want to be able to hand them something. So Ralph Thompson has reached out to local churches and, and we've agreed to help. And you all were so uh, responsive when we did the fill the bus campaign. So I know you'll be responsive again. And I'll send you the email, the list of things. But by December 11th, we'd like to have that box filled so I can take that down to Ralph. But Ralph does a great job with chaplaincy. But the reason chaplaincy and our personal witness and our personal ministry is more important than it's ever been today is because of the vast majority of people today that are unchurched. I looked up a statistic, and quite frankly, I didn't need to look up a statistic. I know by my own interactions with people that were in my workplace, by many of the people that I know, that most people today that you encounter, they're not, they're not churched. And so the only gospel they'll get, the only minister that they'll get, the only person who may share the love of Christ with them or pray with them will be you. If you're willing to do so, it will only be you because they don't go to a church. But the statistics said that less than 20% of people attend church regularly. Less than 20%. So really it's up to us. It's up to us to be intentional about that. So I'm asking, I'm going to challenge myself for this Christmas season. I'm going to challenge you as Bethel Christian Center for 2017 become intentional. You know, at the end of Mark... I'm sorry, at the end of Matthew, in verse 38, Jesus said, Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send workers out into the harvest field. And I think if we're not careful what we do, we sit back and pray and we say, God, send workers out into the harvest field. Send them. Well, we got to be like Isaiah. Here I am, Lord. Send me. You're the worker. I'm the worker. If you're here and you have a relationship with the Lord... You've made him Lord of your life. You're just as qualified to go and pray for someone, minister to someone as pastor is, as I am, as anyone else. And who knows, but by your obedience, you may be the one that changes the situation. You may be the one that leads them to the Lord. You might be the one that prays over them. You, 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 you uh, force through your own fear. And there's two things that will keep you from doing it, that keep people from doing this, is fear and a sense of unworthiness. Those are the two things, I think, that keep people from going and praying with people and ministering to people. And you got to look for those opportunities. And you got to overcome that fear. I'm going to close with, uh, how does, what does this look like practically? What does this look like practically? I'm going to ask Sister Judy if she will to come on up to the piano. If you're serious about this, I want you to do this. We'll end our service around the altar. We always end our service around the altar. And our, my prayer for us as we end is that we, if you... If you have a relationship with the Lord, if you want to be intentional about touching those around you as you pray this, that God will help you to see those people through the spiritual eyes and be, and be mindful of them when he walks them into your path. Because he will. He will. So get up each day and say, God, help me to slow down. Help me to be intentional. Help me to see who you're going to place in my path today that I can minister to. I want to give you a personal example just for the sake of illustration. A few weeks ago, I was at the Dollar General on Hillsborough Road, and I was walked up to the cashier, and she was on the phone. And she said, I don't have 20 I'll do the best I can. I don't have $20, but I'll see what I can do. And she hung up the phone, and, I, and she looked at me, and she said, I need a vacation. And I said, what's going on? She said, well, 
and, and she named the family member, but I don't remember who it was. A family member of hers had died from a heroin overdose in Fayetteville. And, and there was nobody else in the line. Folks, we've got to be careful how we do this. We don't be like bulls in china shops. You know, I'm, I'm not going to do this as there's 15 people waiting behind me because I know what they're going to be saying. They're going to say, look, you can pray some other time. I'm trying to get checked out. But there was nobody else there. And so I said, you know, I, I believe in Jesus Christ, and I believe he can change our situations and give you comfort in this time. Do you mind if I pray for you for a minute? And if you're willing to do that, I heard a pastor recently on a sermon similar to this. He said, if you will say to people, how can I pray for you? Get ready. Get ready. Because they're going to let you most of the time. And if they say no, then what have you lost? So I said, can I, can I pray with you? She said, yes, you can pray. So I prayed with her for a moment. And then when she opened her eyes, her eyes were full of tears. And I said, you know, I, I pray that God will help you in this situation. But I wanted to leave her with something, too. Because follow-up is important. One of the things that in the training that we received through... Uh, the rapid response team with the Billy Graham Evangelical Association is important to follow up. And I wanted to leave her with something. So I come back and I saw Brother Michael and we were talking about that encounter. And we've created some little business cards. And I carry them in my pocket with a rubber band around them. And I hope you'll get some. If you're not going, if you listen, if you know, look, I'm not going to do that, then don't pick any up. But I hope you'll pick up some of these. And they can, when you, each morning when I take them off of my nightstand along with my change and my knife that I keep in my pocket I pick these up and it reminds me of what I need to do that day or look to do that day because I would have liked to slip out a card and handed it to her because I would like to I would like for her to come into a place where she'll be under anointed worship where she'll be under anointed sound doctrine and where she'll be under Christian fellowship I don't know if she has that or not 80 percent chance that she does not and so Michael has these out on the fellowship, uh, out on the Welcome Center. If you want to pick some up, it simply gives our church name, the address, uh, the service times. And it says, if you don't have a place of worship, we'd like for you to join us here. And on the back, it's got some scriptures about salvation. You know, once again, we may think these things don't matter. But as I, as I studied for this, this message, I thought about Cornelius in the book of Acts chapter 10. And the Bible says that Cornelius helped the poor and he prayed to God. And the angel of the Lord visited him because something amazing was about to happen for Cornelius. And the angel told him, he said, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now, did he know that when he was doing what he was doing? No. Do I know what happened when I talked to these guys out here? Do I know what happened when I had a chance to pray with this lady indulgent? No. But somehow, I think there's, it comes up as a memorial offering before God. And it won't be forgotten. As a matter of fact, in Revelation 8.4, I've been studying Revelation recently. It says, the smoke of incense together with the prayers of the saints went up before God. Your prayers are never ineffective, folks. I know sometimes it feels like it. I know sometimes it feels like they hit the ceiling and they bounce back. But when there are prayers for people particularly, when they're the prayers of salvation... They're, they're always important to God. And we, I, I'm, I firmly believe we won't really know how effective they were till we stand before Him one day. And He shows us what those prayers did, how they came up as a memorial before Him. And next, lastly, be sensitive to the nudge of the Holy Spirit. 
If you're here, certainly if you're spirit-filled, if this is your heart's desire, God will nudge you in your spirit. You just have to be willing to be obedient. You have to be willing if God says, pray with that person. You have to be willing to do it. And you have to be willing to overcome when the old devil comes in and says, you're going to look like a kook. And it's going to happen to you too because it happens to me. There was a lady in our public information office recently. Her husband had had surgery, heart surgery. This was before I retired. And I just felt like God was dealing with me to go pray with her. And we still have the prayer boxes, and I meant to bring one up. It's got a cloth in it where we can anoint it, and it's got a, a scripture in it. It's something tangible to give to people to let them know that a church has prayed for them in their situation. And the whole time I was walking down City Hall, man, it was like, I feel like the biggest kook. What am I doing? They, they're going to think I'm a religious freak or a Jesus freak or whatever else the devil might put in your way. But I, I, I manned up. I muscled through that spiritually. And I walked back and I, I said, Beverly, I said, I understand your husband had some surgery recently. And we believe in prayer at our church that I attend. I just, our church prayed over this cloth and this box. And there's a scripture in it that explains it. And just wanted to let you know somebody was praying for you. She, that mattered to her. Did it, did, what difference? I don't know. I'm going to do what I do. Let's do what we do. And let's leave the results to God. Because he knows what he's doing. And the Holy Spirit can do his working when we don't even realize he's working. We're the workers. We're the workers. So I want to challenge, I'm challenging myself mostly, but I want to challenge you for 2017 to be intentional. To get up each day. And p- people are going to cross your path. And you do have to be strategic in it. You do have to, but look for it. Ask God to give it to you. And when he does, seize it. Seize that opportunity. And if you miss it, and you will, because I do sometime, I've gotten in my car before or, or something, and I, and I realize at that moment, golly, I just blew that one. God, God laid it out there before me, and I was too busy doing what I was doing, and I missed it. That's okay. Drive on. Drive on, because he'll give you some more. I hope this has challenged you. I know that this word intentional has burned in my spirit ever since Michael said it. We're a spirit-filled church. We believe in the direction and the ministry of the Holy Ghost. But I believe it was, I believe it was power for service. I believe God wants us to impact the culture. And there is... Scripture after scripture after scripture that shows us that we're to impact our culture. And I hope you will. Father, thank you for this day, Lord. I thank you, God, that you birthed this to me. And I hope somehow I conveyed it to our church. God, we'll be concerned about those around us. God, I won't go through my day as I usually do 100 miles an hour and not see those you set in my path. And help us, Lord, to be the workers in the field.